Welcome back to Horror Cats and Witch Hats with Katie and Izzy. We are back with a uh, continuation today. We are keeping on, keeping on with this Halloween, I don't know, chaos, I guess. <laughs> That's how it yep. feels. So the focus of this week will be the Cult of Thorn timeline. And that includes movies four, five, and six, in addition to one and two, but we did those already. We're talking about Halloween, if you don't understand. Didn't <laughs> Just I in say case that? Maybe, <laughs> like, nope, you missed the whole Halloween oh, part. <laughs> I was excited. Um, but we're talking about Halloween with Michael Myers, you know, um, four, five, and six. So, uh, yeah. Listen. There we if- go. If you clicked on the episode, you know it's called Halloween. So you know. It's true. It's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding. Saying. I totally thought that I had said Halloween. My mouth is moving, or my brain is moving faster than my mouth. Or my ADHD brain missed it. And so you're going to go back and listen, and it's going to be right there. And you're going to be like, I fucking said it. <laughs> you know what? I probably didn't, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> I don't think I did. Both of us have a good excuse. <laughs> So, Halloween number four. Made in 1988. It's called Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And this one takes place 10 years after the events of Laurie Strode in the hospital. Correct. And it won one award and got two nominations. The win was given in 2015 for being the best DVD Blu-ray collection. So it really had nothing to do with the movie individually. <laughs> it happened to do with the franchise. Yeah. Um, fun little fact. Uh, Halloween 4 and 5 were actually filmed in Utah. Well, partially filmed in Utah. <laughs> and 6, too. Yeah. Um, you the the house that was in I think Halloween five that's in the avenue sold for like or is on sale for like a million dollars. Is that the one that's the Sheriff Meeker's house? I think so. It's we talk home. about it. It's in there. Yeah, we'll 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 get into this, but nevertheless, but yeah, for all of our cool. hometown Utah folks. Ooh. ooh. The house is really pretty, though, <laughs> in, all, in all honesty. So we have yet again another director who is taking mm-hmm. on the helm of Halloween. Because if you remember, one and two were both John Carpenter, uh, Deborah Allen. Is that her name? Something to that Dang. effect. Uh, they did one and two. So they had to find somebody else to do four. And the person they chose was Dwight H. Little, who did the 1989 Phantom of the Opera, Free Willy 2, and then a lot of TV shows. Yeah. The writers, it's uh, based on the story by uh, Danny Lipsius. Is it Lipsius? Sure. I assume. Uh, Larry Ratner. Benjamin Ruffner, and then the screenplay and stories by Alan B. McLory? McLeroy? McLeroy, McLeroy, McLeroy. Anyways. All hyphenated. uh, 
<laughs> he, he's also he's known best for uh, doing uh, Vampire Diaries and Star Trek Discovery. I've never seen Vampire Diaries, to be in all honesty. So, this is all I know this guy from. <laughs> A lot of B-rated movies, the directors and writers are, like, TV show people. A lot of their credits are for TV shows. Mm-hmm. Which is maybe why their movies are B-rated. <laughs> unlikely so the cast we have the return of donald pleasance as dr loomis Uh, fun fact because we already talked about him previously uh the new fact for him is that he flew planes in world war ii for the british royal air force Mm -hmm. and during that war his plane was shot down and he became a prisoner of war and then he went on and had six daughters which sounds like a nightmare yeah it does it's a lot of girls yeah let's hope they didn't fight too much then we have uh rachel (laughs) rachel uh carthers i believe it is carruthers Um, carruthers she's played by ellie cornell and uh she's uh the babysitter and foster family teenager of jamie and jamie is jamie lloyd who is supposedly uh, Laurie Strode's daughter. Mm-hmm. She's played by Danielle Hedris. Her husband is David Gross, and I Googled him because I was like, wow, I wonder if he does anything. And the images that popped up were a Nobel Prize winner who was very old. And I was like, no, she <laughs> can't be married to him. He's not. They share the same name. Um, <laughs> but the not-her-husband David Gross won a Nobel Prize for physics and string theory, like Sheldon Cooper in Big Bang Theory. Hmm. She has a beautiful scream, one of the most beautiful screams in the world, honestly, but that's because she's basically known for being in horror movies and dark movies and scary movies, and uh, Rob Zombie even brought her back in the 2007 and 2009 remake of Halloween as Annie Brackett, so... Uh, Lori's best friend which is really cool and I think that's really cool but um, she's beautiful I love her dearly I think she's a really good actress so she also voiced Debbie in the wild thornberries mm-hmm. which is the saucy older sister who and... everybody wanted to be able to dress like <laughs> and she's in an episode of charmed as Aviva yep. the fourth sister yeah it's uh yeah you don't you don't recognize her, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I do know her. The eyes but, uh, are memorable. Oh, yeah. But she's been in a lot of stuff, too. So, you know, like Boy Meets World and Roseanne and Wish Upon a Star. <laughs> and, like, a lot of the stuff that we grow up. Well, I grew up watching Boy Meets World, that's for sure. <laughs> I remember Wish Upon a Star. But, nevertheless, she's really great. Yeah, she really likes doing horror though that's her bread and butter she's good at it and she has a great scream michael myers Um, yeah is played by george p wilbur uh this is the i don't know like fourth or fifth myers at this point in time 
Yeah. Something he like that. is also <laughs> a stuntman who's been in a lot of movies. Uh, thus, movies include Mars Attacks, Firestarter, Ghostbusters, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, uh, Escape from New York, which is a John Carpenter film. Mm-hmm. He also did Nightmare on Elm Street 5. And I think we talked about, we talk about the Nightmare on Elm Street and f- the Jason movies a lot when we talk about Halloween. They're like very intertwined, oddly. Yeah. Yep. There's also a lot of Freddy's or a lot of uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets. So there's that as well. And there's, I think there's even more Friday the 13th. There is a ridiculous amount of Friday the 13th that I can't even, I've, I know I haven't seen them all when for a fact. <laughs> Halloween 5 was coming out, Friday the 13th was on number 8. No big deal. It's fine. God damn. That's so many. And then there's Jason X, which is like where they send into space, which is a terrible movie. Which they considered doing for Halloween 6. That would have been so fucking bad. Oh my god, I can't even imagine. (laughs) I know. It makes me think of Leprechaun. Which is also an anthology in its own right. Um, Yeah, it just goes all over the place. (laughs) Anywho. Tom Magna is also credited for playing like for playing Michael Myers, sorry. <laughs> um, he's a stuntman that started as Myers and was replaced by Wilbur. He plays Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th number 5, because, you know, there's so many. He may also play Leatherface in the 1986 Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. So, you know, it's a hat trick. He's played three slashers, kind of, sort of. Kind of like a triple threat. He knows how to use chainsaws, he knows how to use machetes, and he knows how to use kitchen knives. So, Also credited in The Exorcist 3, Child's Play 3, Pirates of the Caribbean, Ghostbusters, and, uh, well, most importantly, he was Jeff, Jeff Goldblum's stump double in The Last in the Lost World of Jurassic Park. Because that movie's a badass, and Jurassic Park is amazing, and dinosaurs are the coolest thing in the world. Didn't Jeff Goldblum just get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? He recently? just did? I don't know. Oh, uh, I I don't know if that's recent. Maybe he. Just... I thought he had one for a while, but <laughs> Magna also played Myers in the ambulance and the cast as well as one of the uh, drugstore, like as well as the Michael in the drugstore that you see for like a whole of two seconds. Um. He, he got it in 2018, so kind of recent. Oh, okay. But as as we all know, there were like 19 to 20 people who are contributed to be the shape throughout the uh, Halloween history of the franchise. <laughs> so it's fine somebody even a female with the hands was a stand-in for michael myers hill. which is deborah awesome. hill that's deborah hill. Is. <laughs> yeah, okay I, good I, job i knew i was gonna get there eventually Weird, yeah um but in an interview with halloween daily news he uh says he wasn't sure why he got replaced by wilbur uh partway through the filming but you know he did so that's unfortunate <laughs> i have a theory but it goes along with some of the behind the scenes drama um so mm. we'll mention it when we get there okay but but that would be really shitty to like do a lot of the work and then just randomly get replaced yeah you're just like wait what the i wonder if he just showed up and he's like wait what the fuck guys that's probably honestly how it went the behind the scenes crap for these films is just so outrageous like i'm sure most movies have that kind of stuff and this is just such a big franchise that it's you can find it everywhere 
mm-hmm. but just so much of the drama is just ridiculous. I don't know. We'll get there. You'll see. You'll be on my side. I'll tell you what. I tell you what. So the rest of the characters that I will mention aren't like super, super big parts. um, And they have minor parts in other movies that I guess I wrote down. (laughs) But uh, Dr. Hoffman is played by Michael Michael Pataki. Michael. (laughs) I got excited. And he is a voice on Dexter's Laboratory. I'm sorry, Laboratory. Laboratory. Sheriff Ben Meeker is played by Bo Star. He reprises his role from the earlier movies. We already talked about him. Kelly mm-hmm. Meeker, his daughter, is played by Kathleen Kinmont. Shh, I already wrote Sheriff's Daughter. Cool. Brady <laughs> is played by Sasha Jensen. She is in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer 1992 movie and Dazed and Confused. And then there's mm-hmm. Reverend Jackson P. Sayer, who is Carmen Filpi. There we go. And so, a quasi-brief, but not really, synopsis of Halloween. What are we on? Four? Four. Halloween four. Yep. Four. Halloween four. They start very (laughs) similarly, so in my notes, it's hard to keep track. (laughs) So, it starts out October 30th, 1988. As we said, this is 10 years past the massacre that Laurie Strode survived. And you get introduced to Ridgemont Federal Sanitarium. Where Michael Myers, surprise, he survived the explosion, has been basically sedated and just living in a coma life. Yep. Uh, Loomis also survived, Lord knows how. And Myers is getting ready to be transported to another hospital. And of course, he busts out of the ambulance and murders anyone and everyone in his way. Yeah, because that's what he does. <laughs> One of the fun things you get with these, at least these three movies, is at the beginning of each movie, you get a really conveniently placed description of everything that happened in the previous movies mm-hmm. <laughs> by some miscellaneous character. And in this one, it's just some random guy who like walks into an elevator and is like, man, can you believe that exactly 10 years ago today? <laughs> and then he like yeah. recaps everything. <laughs> yep. Uh, really, I just need to do that uh, at the for the synopses. Mm-hmm. So this is this, and this, that, 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 and we're done. Yep, there's our job. So then you go to Haddonfield, Illinois, where you meet mm-hmm. Rachel Carruthers, who's a teenage girl whose family is taking care of a young foster girl whose parents have been dead for 11 months. Plot twist, it's Laurie Strode's daughter, Jamie. And Jamie is take that back it's suggested (laughs) that Lori and her partner died in a car accident i think is i don't know if they outright say it or if it's just like mentioned Uh, i don't know i'm pretty sure it's just mentioned but because i think i think rachel says it to her friend or something like that gotcha yeah Uh, the only other weird thing about this part is Jamie has nightmares of Michael Myers, and it's really weird considering she has never met Myers. Right. Probably seen him in any capacity. So it's just like this weird thing that I felt the need to comment on. 
Then, next day, October 31st, 1988, in Haddonfield, Illinois, Dr. Loomis is informed that Myers once again broke out, and then once again he's trying to tell everybody who will listen that Myers is a potential murderer and they need to put all resources to capturing him. And once again, he gets completely ignored and blown off by everybody. Yeah, because what do doctors know when they've been taking care of a patient for so long who's already broken out and killed multiple people? Right. Like, um, you know, They whatever. were like, he's fully sedated. He'll never break out. And then he breaks out and they're still like, nah, he's fine. <laughs> Don't worry. It's, everything is fine. Yes. Uh, so Dr. Loomis, <laughs> of course, heads to Haddonfield. And there's a lot of similarities here with what happens. Uh in this like whole Dr. Loomis Myers cat and mouse chase thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. And he is basically, I decided Dr. Loomis is a descendant of Van Helsing. Oh, that's my theory. Yes. And okay. the reason he isn't able to kill Myers is because he hasn't figured out how to put silver bullets in his gun yet. <laughs> So, Michael, why does it have to be silver bullets? Because that's what you shoot everything with. Because he's oh, not a ghost. Okay. He's not a ghost. Okay, silver but bullets with salt inside of them. There you go. Done. Figured it out. <laughs> a little bit of iron just to make sure. You never know. Well, after he shoots him with the silver bullets while Michael's doing his like hibernative state laying there, he could stab him with some iron and then circle him with salt. Done. Where's Dean Jesus. and Sam when you need them? God, that'd be a that'd be an episode for sure. <laughs> Poor Jamie gets made fun of in like the worst way, kind of like Malfoy does. Um, but like they just make fun of her for being an orphan, and it's just really sad. And they skip low hanging, normal kid bullying targets like the hair and the clothes and etc. And they pick on all of that because well, she doesn't get new stuff all the time. They go from um, zero to 100 real quick. Just like Malfoy. Yeah. Like Malfoy, every time he picks on Harry, it's like, haha, you don't have parents. And then yeah. it's not like, hey, your glasses are broken or, hey, poor kid. It's literally just, haha. Your parents are dead. No one loves you. <laughs> yeah. It's rough. And like, wow, these kids are brutal in Haddonfield. <laughs> I th- maybe they're raised to be tough because they're worried about Halloween. So they're like, the kid- these kids, if they're fighting, it's fine. It's maybe fine. there's just something in the water there. That too. They're like, are you going to become what? an intense bully or an axe murderer? Pick one. We, we prefer the bully. <laughs> but uh, somehow Myers knows exactly who Laurie Strode's daughter is and where she lives. And despite having been, you know, assumed in a coma following the explosion and burns, he uh, tracks her down immediately and can find her without hesitation or problem. <laughs> there is zero explanation as to how he knows all of that, unless it's just, like, doctors talking around him. Uh, but why they would keep track of all that stuff, I don't know either. So Right. Uh, while she, so while Jamie is trick-or-treating, and, of course, um, she wants to go as a clown, <laughs> because, like, well, what follows in this line of things of dressing as a clown as a child it's just another one of those like similarities that they just 
kind yeah. of reused. Yeah. Um, so while she's out trick-or-treating, he is in her room and house doing his best silent creeping, you know, going through her stuff and doing what he can. He, he just <laughs> Finding likes, out everything. Just likes that silent creep life. Yeah, man. And then Rachel, of course, is a teenager and has boy troubles because what else are you going to talk about? And she delivers the most evil comeback she can think of when she finds her boyfriend at another girl's house having done dirty things. She says, I'll let you get back to little Miss Hot Pants. As if that was like the worst burn that they could come up with in the 80s. Ooh. <laughs> it reminds me of that like lint liquor commercial. It's like, who are you, you calling? lint liquor? Who are you calling a lint liquor, you cutie catcher? That's or so vice funny. versa. I don't know. But it's great. That's It just made me giggle. Of course, she has to have an awkward moment when the sheriff brings her and Jamie to the house of Miss Hotpants because Miss Hotpants is the sheriff's daughter. Yep. And the sheriff has brought them to his house because Dr. Loomis finally convinced somebody, Sheriff Meeker, that Michael was a danger. And he was like, you know what? The safest place to be will be my house because they have proven that the sheriff's department police station is a useless place to be <laughs> oh yeah man that, that that was the first place to go and so yeah she has to have this really awkward moment where she's like hi can i stay here now and pretend like we're friends and yeah that'd be awkward anywho myers figures out how to creep his way into the sheriff's house murdering anyone who gets in his way as he does so Mm-hmm. For some reason, the sheriff has locked all the doors from the inside, so they can't get out. And so once the kids realize that the doors are locked, they can't go anywhere. And I'm like, that seems like a fire hazard and a really odd thing to do. Yes. It also just doesn't make sense to me to have a front door that, like, you have to lock from a key on the outside and lock with a key on the inside I, too many steps yeah that's a lot to do and like if you really want to be that fortified you better know that nobody that nobody can get in your house because then you're just screwing everybody over like they did you know <laughs> and then of course the police station decides to make some grand announcement that myers is a boot and halloween's canceled so what do all the, I'm sure, perfectly sober men hanging out in the local tavern do? They decide to start a hunting party. They're going to go hunt down Michael Myers. It's as fine. It's one, like he's like a deer. As one does in this small town, I guess. Uh-huh. And so while they're all trying to fix that, the adults, Myers, as we said, is in the house. And there's this really goofy scene, <laughs> cracks me up, where he's like slowly walking up the stairs mm-hmm. and the boyfriend is like trying to reload his gun or something. And he's like, I'm going to protect everybody. And he's at the top of the stairs and the Rachel is yelling at him to be like, come on, let's go. And he's just like, no, leave me. I'll save you. And it reminds <laughs> me of like a spoofy movie, a spoof movie. Sorry where it shows the person like screaming for their life 
and then it shows someone like in a car driving at them and then it zooms out and they're like a hundred yards apart and And they're not moving they're just standing there and it's like a zamboni driver and it's going super slow and they're just waiting to die that's basically what that scene was (laughs) yeah pretty much yeah i was like you all could have escaped in the amount of time it took him to clamber up these stairs because you know while he's going up the stairs he's just like god i'm too fucking old for this (laughs) i'm so tired (laughs) he's like these are too many fucking stairs so then he dies, basically, and Rachel falls off the roof. Dr. Loomis, again, has impeccable timing and swoops in to, to I almost said to snack, to snatch Jamie. <laughs> Hopefully he's not snacking on Jamie. Uh, but to snatch Jamie off the street and take him to a, quote, safe place. Right. Wh- which he decided was the local school. Which is not a safe place. The other thing is, as far as we know, Jamie has no idea who Dr. Loomis is. And he shows up as some crazy old man with burn scars all over, like, half his body in a trench coat holding a gun with gloves on. And she just instantly trusts him. She's like, yes. She's like, yeah, okay, I'll go with you. You seem like a good choice. Okay. Uh, But basically, somehow, Myers beats them to the school. I don't know how he does that. And spooks them there. They get away. Rachel appears randomly with a truck with a bunch of uh, the townsmen on it. And they're like driving away and all the men are like, woohoo, look at us, we're doing things. And then (laughs) Myers climbs on the back of the truck, murders everybody except for Jamie and Rachel. And basically, that's it. So the State Patrol shows up right then. They shoot Myers a bunch. A bunch. A bunch, a bunch. Mm -hmm. Rachel and Jamie end up back at Rachel's house, which is the foster foster family. Mm -hmm. And in the most ultimate plot twist that I honestly did not see coming, Jamie is found by Dr. Loomis. In her clown costume, covered in blood and not speaking. So, of course, he freaks out and just starts yelling, No, Jamie, no! And And continues yelling. (laughs) Yeah. And basically the idea is that she took some shears and stabbed her foster mother while I think she was trying to run her a bath or put her to bed or something. And Mm -hmm. that she is like the mirror image of Michael Myers when he was six. And that's it. That's how it ends. Halloween four. Da, ba, ba. Go for it. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of pieces in Halloween four that kind of mirror like the very first one, including him breaking out of the asylum. No one believes Doctor Loomis. Uh, <laughs> Loomis has to find a mechanic on his way to Haddonfield because, well, what do you do? You stop at a mechanic shop every time. <laughs> well, I think but, that's um... referring to <laughs> Myers kills a mechanic and steals their truck. But yeah, uh, yeah, they try to drill into the plot and the idea that Michael Myers is not human or a person, but rather he's just like an evil shape. So, um, you know, that kind of sticks to John Carpenter's initial hope. But obviously he is human since they continue to 
uh, talk about the family thread and like go through him killing his family. <laughs> and then, of course, the uh, you know uh, Jamie mirroring the six-year-old murdering or Miles murdering his sister as she murders her stepmom or foster mom. And then babysitters and teenage victims. Because, you know, that's that's how all slashers go at this point. I mean, nobody likes teenagers, so that's nice. Teenagers are scary. My chemical romance was right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll do a quick stop at the graveyard for Halloween. Yeah. And this graveyard is comprised of Michael Myers' victims. So first was the... I don't know if he was like a nurse or an EMT. I don't know what he was, but his name was Jay Black. He got a thumb through the forehead. His <laughs> coworker, a terrible way to die. I know. That would be so painful. Uh, his coworker, L. Evans, I don't really know how he died. I think he's just shown being dead, or you assume he's dead. Mm-hmm. There's not really details. Normally nobody's left alive anyway, so... The two EMT slash paramedics that were in the ambulance get beaten and, I don't know, choked and smashed and he hulked them to death. <laughs> yeah. The mechanic is impaled with a metal rod and hung up in chains, which is a little overkill, but he's kind of theatric, so. Shelly, details unknown. Bucky is thrown on a transformer and electrocuted. The police force, all of them, uh, including <laughs> Deputy Pierce, get ripped apart. Blood everywhere. There's an innocent townsman named Ted Hollister. He is actually not killed by Myers. He gets killed by the mob who thinks he's Myers and shoots him to death. Yeah. Because that's what happens when you have a mob mentality. Um, I can't remember... If Myers was actually there, I didn't see him when I watched the film, but I read somewhere that he was watching and he kind of like made them think that he was there. And then he moved because he knew that that Ted Hollister guy was hanging out behind the bushes doing nefarious things. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because who else hangs out behind the bushes? I know at night. In, I don't in know. the dark. On Halloween. He wasn't up yeah. to any good anyways. <laughs> no. Uh, Deputy Logan is killed in Sheriff Maker's house. He's just found in the corner, like, all bloodied up. Mm-hmm. The sheriff's daughter, Kelly Maker, Miss Hot Pants, ran through with a shotgun because using a shotgun would have been too much. He had to stab her with it. Right. And she gets pictured in a very similar fashion as, I think his name was Bob, the boyfriend, in the first movie. Yeah. Uh, where he's, like, pulled yeah. up. Where he's stabbed to the wall, but she's gunned. To the to the wall? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> From the window to the wall. Wall. You got wall. guns up your shoved stuff your... that <laughs> Well, there you go. <laughs> Yours was way better. <laughs> I don't know where I was going. <laughs> anyway. Our album comes out 2022. <laughs> uh, then there's Brady, the boyfriend, who gets his throat squished, I guess. I don't... Uh, they don't really show it. Um, he gets picked up by the throat. And then there's... Oh, he did. Yeah, he did either way. 
there's the mob of men in the truck that I said were driving away thinking they were super cool and then they all just get wrecked. Uh, So Oren and Alan Gateway, Oren gets stabbed in the back, Alan gets stabbed in the stomach through the back, Unger is thrown off the moving pickup truck, and Earl, who was driving, gets his neck ripped open. Fun side note, Earl looks like Jerry from Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, But he is actually actor and writer Gene Ross, who is credited in The Goonies as Man in the Shower Number One. (laughs) That's so funny. Because I looked, because I was like, is that him? It's, I mean, it's not, obviously, but I wanted to know. Um, And then you are left wondering whether the foster mom is dead or not. Also, the Carruthers dog was killed at some point. Oh, yeah, the Doberman. Because we can't just not have an animal that lives. He was a cute dog, too. And this concludes that graveyard stroll. Lots of dead people. (laughs) His death count goes up. And in this one, they are even, like, more just extra. Like, he's just ripping limbs off of people. so it's not as cool because you're not seeing him use, like, miscellaneous items that he comes across mm-hmm. as in the second one. Uh, but he is, it's more gore than the originals. So then you have the theories surrounding this Myers as far as the fourth movie goes. So the first super interesting theory that I found is that Michael's whole purpose is to spread fear. And he is either the living form of or is possessed by, and I am not going to pronounce these correct at all. And I didn't Google the pronunciations, which I should have. But um, we're going to go with a slog seed, which is an ancient Celtic spirit, which emerged on Samhain, which we talked about was kind of like the origin of Halloween. Also pronounced as Sawin. There you go. I thought you were going to come in and fix my pronunciation of the actually hard word, and you didn't. <laughs> no. I, I, uh, you know, I could try. Let's you see. Google and let's, I'll talk. <laughs> let's see. So according to folklore, sorry, folklore Thursday, that's folklore, th- folklore Thursday, folklore Thursday, folklore Thursday, there we go. Folklorethursday.com, a... Sluag City, <laughs> I don't know, a slog seed, is also known as a fairy host. We learned a long time ago not to fuck with fairies when we talked about leprechauns. Uh, fairies are spirits of the unforgiven or restless dead who soared the skies at night searching for humans to pick off. Uh, That's this specific version of the fairy. That's not all fairies, by the way. I don't think I clarified that. So that sounds exactly like a Jeeper Creeper monster, for the record. They, he like swoops around and picks up people who are afraid, or he can smell their fear or something. I don't know. They are associated with fallen angels or the spirits of unbaptized children, which... I feel like the Spears of Unbaptized Children part probably came later in the lore as Christianity and Catholicism and all that jazz moved in. 
And the earliest reports are from 1690 from the Scottish Highlands and Islands. In 19th century accounts believed them to be the spirits or mortals who had died or armies fighting battles in the sky. They were believed to fly around seeking skull. Oh my gosh. Seeking souls. I feel like I'm just reading a lot of alliterations and it's really throwing me off. Seeking souls to steal from a person who is laying at death's doorstep. So they're kind of like the idea of death. He just like swoops in, takes your soul. Tradition was to close all entrances on the west side of the house to keep the spirits out. Except I guess you kind of want your soul to go to death, but these guys just like snatched your soul so it couldn't go on to bigger and better things. Extra effort had to be put in during Sam Hain when they were stronger due to the thin veil that we talked about. During this time, they snatched up anyone who was alone. So like kids walking the streets, which is all you do on Halloween. So mm -hmm. that ruins trick-or-treating. The buddy <laughs> system. There you go. Sometimes humans could be returned, or I guess like their souls could be returned. Uh, similar to modern alien abduction stories, these people were not the same. They were brought back exhausted and having been tortured. One tale, written by Carmichael, says a beautiful princess of France was swooped up and brought back to die of her injuries after she was like, it was a fairy who took me. So if it's not your soul that gets swooped up, I guess they take the whole body, like a Jeepers Creepers thing, and instead they just torture you and then... If they get sick of you, they drop you off to die. I don't know. I'm not really sure what their uh, agenda is, <laughs> but whatevs. The author of the uh, Folklore Thursday article takes that idea a little bit further by deconstructing the folklore and suggesting that these fairies are stories used to cover up domestic abuse, binge drinking, blackouts, and mental illness, uh, which is kind of similar to some alien abduction instances. The article author Anna Mazala wrote a book called The Storykeeper based on folktales that seems really interesting. There is also a found footage horror film based on Slog that came out in 2020 called The Haunting of Grady Farm. Hmm. I imagine it's a jeeper creeper swooping people up on a farm right. that is owned by a man named Grady. Or woman, man or woman. So okay, so so really fit really quick. Go. What I found out, uh, from what I just listened to, and please don't uh, get mad at me if this is wrong because it's very possible. I just listened to it. It's pronounced Slaushi. I was not even close. <laughs> so, so we've yeah. been talking about Slaushis this whole time. Maybe. <laughs> That's just what I listen to. So that's just what I'm just going off of what I listen to. So I, you know, I, I can only be so good. I'm going to call them slough because that that's part fine. definitely looks right. That's fine. So for this theory, I guess Michael Myers is like a hybrid version of a human and a fairy. So with his supernatural powers, he exists to scare people. And his initial murder of his sister scared the town so badly that the house sat vacant for 15 years. Then when people stopped being afraid, as demonstrated by Lori's 
fearlessly walking up to the house and dropping off that key in the first movie. It was time for Michael to return because the fear was, you know, going downhill. His purpose wasn't just to kill Laurie, but to create a new widespread fear, which is why he built his own version of a haunted house at the Wallace's place. Uh, So, you know, how he poses all those bodies, it's just part of his theatrics to just really scare people, which makes sense. And that is not my theory or interpretation, by the way. Uh, Pulled it from many sources, and I uh, will link them, probably. This theory also argues that Dr. Loomis was complicit in the task of spreading fear, but... I'm sorry, being controlled by the same slough as Michael. But I'd say, personally, that the fact that not a single person takes him seriously makes that, like, a really bad argument. (laughs) That that whole idea just gives me Freddy vibes, (laughs) you know? Because, like, Freddy is, he lives off of, like, the memories and so, and, like, the fear uh, that people feel for him. So, like, later on, as they're trying to like get rid of him and he's losing his strength and stuff, they're they're forgetting about the fear and forgetting about Freddy Krueger. And so I feel like, I don't know, that just reminds me of Freddy Krueger's story. So, and this will come up when we talk about movie six, but just because you brought that up, uh, mm-hmm. the idea of a boogeyman encompasses a lot of these slasher horror people because they, oh, yeah. their whole purpose is fear. Um, and that's like the whole boogeyman lore is just to create fear. So they could be different versions of a boogeyman or a fairy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't think Dr. Loomis is in any way tied to this slough because people do not take him seriously and they tend to just laugh at him and he's not very good at spreading fear. Right. Um, especially because he being like the person that a child should be terrified of in appearance did not make a dent on Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Uh. That theory is promoted by the unpublished sequel that Carpenter and Hill had meant to do, uh, which I'll go into detail a little bit later where it fits in better. I think this idea could also feed into why Michael Myers doesn't talk, because maybe he speaks fairy or something (laughs) to that effect. Secretly, he just has a really high voice, and so he doesn't want people to know. (laughs) Theory number two. Michael spread his evil intentions to Jamie Lloyd when he touched her hand. I think um, this is the most common theory for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So this theory gets uh, expounded upon in. Er, ex, yeah. Expound. Is that supposed to be expanded on? I think I typed out upon? expounded because I want to make it a word. I don't know. But it, it was is. supposed to be expanded. No, I think it should be expounded. It sounds way cooler. Uh, Okay. Well, the theory gets expounded upon in movie five. (laughs) Passing evil reminded me of the wreck video that we talked about for Mm -hmm. quarantine. uh, Where, like, a demonic possession is contagious and spreadable. Um, Because she does, like, well, for some reason, Jamie runs up and, like, touches Michael Myers' hand. Because that's what I would do if someone just murdered everybody I know and got shot. I would immediately run and hold their hand yeah as a six-year-old seven-year-old whatever she is yeah it kind of gave me gave me like contagious demon vibes so i think that her like transformation or potential to be the new myers murderer was promoted 
throughout the film, like well before she even touched his hand. Because in her dream at the beginning, she imagines Michael like popping up everywhere. And it makes me think of those like really cheesy dream sequences that TV shows have where the murderer in their nightmares is themselves. And like they finally take off the mask. Oh, are you talking about Charmed? I'm talking about every <laughs> single TV series right. ever. <laughs> right. But yes, Charmed. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a Supernatural episode. There's probably a Buffy one. <laughs> More than likely. Yeah, Buffy has a dream of Willow. The evil Willow. Dark Willow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that whole idea. Uh, perhaps just having like seen all those murders and going through all that trauma like kind of brought out that murderous side maybe it's just in their genes <laughs> so that being said there i did research a lot of stuff about like the serial killer gene that was like a really big a little while ago mm-hmm. and i uh say that in like quote unquote serial killer gene because it's not right. like one specific gene that they swab your mouth for and they say yep you're gonna be a serial killer like that's not how it works you're screwed (laughs) so this next section it gets a little bit technical but i tried to keep it really basic and explain the technical parts but it's fascinating so bear with me as i'm sure everyone who is listening to this podcast has probably heard on tv shows or other podcasts that serial killers typically fall into psychopath or sociopath territory. We kind of touched on this in one of the other Halloween episodes. Mm -hmm. And what I did not mention is that nowadays, these fall under an umbrella diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. They don't really say, hey, you're a psychopath or you're a sociopath. It's just kind of like one broad term. Because like we talked about, they overlap in a lot of ways. Right. And if you look it up, it fits Michael Myers pretty much to a T, as well as every other horror serial killer. <laughs> it's like someone looked up the definition for that and went, hey, that's going to be what my serial killer is. Hmm. So antisocial personality disorder is estimated to be 38% heritable. And so what that means is that heritability is the proportion of phenotypic variation. So the phenotype is like how your genes present. Um, so you have red hair, it's what you see, right? That's how right. your gene presents. That's a phenotype. So it's the proportion of phenotypic variation in a population that is attributable to genetic variation among individuals. And so the phenotype is determined by your genes and your environment. It's a whole slew of things. And so this very hairily means... <laughs> That among a certain population, an individual who expressed antisocial personality disorder can attribute about 38% of that trait to their genetics. It does not mean that 38% of it is caused by genes and the rest of it is environment. It's like really nuancy and I myself couldn't even like explain it better than that. But if that's something that interests you, go Google it. So in an article from UC Berkeley Scientific Journal, there was an article written in the spring of 2020 by Anusha Sabramanian called Born to Kill? The Story of, quote, Serial Killer Genes. So it kind of goes 
like a brief overview. Uh, things like DNA sequencing for identifying potential genetic traits, especially where personality is involved, is like really touchy. Like just because you have the DNA marker for heart disease doesn't mean you will definitely have heart disease. This is why it's recommended that if you do a DNA test for your health, uh, it is highly recommended that you see a genetic counselor to help you decipher and understand those results. I personally have not done like a 23andMe or anything like that, so I don't know how they like teach people how to read those results. Yeah, so just keep that in mind as you hear about genes and genetic testing. Uh, The article said, quote, a good way to think about it is that genetics provide an individual with a spectrum and the individual's environment, developmental and otherwise, determines where you lie on it. A predisposition may lie dormant for eternity, but feed it a stressful environment and increased risk factors such as malnourishment and trauma, and it will manifest. So basically, this is just saying that nature versus nurture argument is trash and people should stop talking about it because it takes both. And I'd like to emphasize that to true crime podcasters because I'm so tired of every episode then being like, so do you think it was nature or nurture? Because it's fucking both. So hush. Tell me how you really feel is. <sighs> now I need to take a break from listening to those. So what are these genes? These serial killer genes? <laughs> uh, punny. I like cereal. I have a serial killer gene. I eat bowls and bowls of cereal. <laughs> God. Uh, anywho. Terrible. <laughs> these markers that they identify these genes by are variants, meaning there's the gene and then something has happened that alters the way that it functions. So it's considered a variant. These genes are called the MAOA, COMT, SCL6A4, and the DRD4 genes. So if you have a plastic water bottle and you poke a hole in the lid and use it to water your plants, you just created a functional variant of your original water bottle by changing what it's used for. That's all that means. So these variants alone cannot make someone violent or aggressive. It requires a combination of factors that compound to create circumstances which lead to aggression. That would be, in most cases uh, of these individuals, like substance abuse, childhood conditions, like abuse, the environment they were growing up in, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So these genes are thought to be directly associated with impulsivity, aggression, and violence. The MAOA gene has a nickname, the warrior gene. This is the, the gene, warrior gene. The warrior gene. This is the gene referenced in the Riverdale TV series for which Betty was tested. The gene mm. codes for an, en- an enzyme monoamine oxidase A, which plays a major role in breaking down neurotransmitters like serotonin. So that's a shit ton of jargon. Basically, it's just saying that this gene sequence chunk thing gives the order to create a protein that acts as a catalyst in helping your body rid itself of serotonin. And serotonin is the chemical that people talk about when they try to tell you why working out is so awesome. It also Mm -hmm. helps regulate your mood, reduce anxiety, and gives that happy feeling. So low levels of the chemical have been associated with depression and increased serotonin causes signs and symptoms that can range from mild, like shivering and diarrhea, to severe muscle rigidity, fever, and seizures. And 
there's a shit ton to it and that was just one of those like seven genes that i listed um but i just wanted to like touch on the serial killer gene because that idea kind of comes through in this movie if you think it's interesting go look it up it's very nuancy but there are tests to support that like uh the most famous serial killers have these variants but yes interesting welcome to izzy's science corner (laughs) (laughs) now katie will take it back to the movie because that's what you really came to hear about right exactly behind the scene because that's what you want to know right that's what everybody wants to know yay yay so it was released in October 20 uh, on October 21st. Initially John Carpenter and Deborah Hill said had still had the rights to Halloween franchise and they had a few working ideas. I love their ideas and I wish they had kept doing it. So, they had Joe Dante from the Gremlins interested in directing, which would have been pretty cool. Uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had initially discussed writing a sequel where Haddonfield had been uh, had been abandoned on Halloween. Had banned Halloween, they, or had banned? Oh, yeah, right. Sorry, had banned Halloween. They had the author of the novel versions of Halloween two and three mo- movies, Dennis Etchison. Etchison. Uh, he used a pseudonym uh, called as Jack Martin. Um, the idea they built but never put into a film was that teenagers acted out against this ban and all hell broke loose. So it's basically just Halloween version of Footloose because you're not supposed to do anything, but you do what you're, you do what's banned because that's what you do. You do what your heart <laughs> tells you. Okay. That's right. <laughs> In an interview with Blumhouse, he says, they don't recognize Halloween as a holiday. They don't allow Halloween masks or costumes or Halloween candy. And you know, Hunt, the deputy from the first two films, Hunt is now the sheriff, and ten years of uh, re- and ten years of repression and suppression have boiled to the surface, and there are some hints that he's back. Da, da, da. They also said, and I had this set piece in mind where Michael Myers comes bursting out up out of a big lot full of pumpkins erupting out of the orange mound. <laughs> I I could see this. That would be a nice shot to use on the poster. I think it would be funny if, (laughs) you know how all those dog movies where the kid has a dog that he's not supposed to have and the mom walks in and the dog hides in the stuffed animals? Mm -hmm. I picture Myers with a pumpkin head on and he's just like sitting there and it's his head in the pumpkin thing and then he just comes bursting out of it. That's All I I can think of is that guy that dances in the pumpkin head that you always see uh, around Halloween. That's, That's what I think of. The dancing pumpkin guy. But the idea is that their attempts to avoid and forget the hor- like the horrificness of all- of all of this, um, they conjure up the spirit of Myers that is feeding off their repression. So that goes back to that idea that Michael is there to like feed fear itself, right? And I really liked that idea because. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they wanted Myers to be dead, right? Carpenter was so set on him dying in the second movie. That's why he made Mm -hmm. that big flame explosion. They (laughs) wanted him to be a ghost and come back as a spirit, which would have been an interesting way to do Myers. And it also kind of answers like the immortality question. Mm -hmm. Plus, how are you going to get rid of a ghost Myers? 
Bum, bum, bum. Silver bullets, iron, iron, and salt. We already figured it out. <laughs> uh, they consider following Lindsay and Tommy as a main protagonists as well. Uh, they had been... There had been something significant about a dream Lindsay would have in the farmhouse. Sounds kind of like, you know, some more Jeepers Creepers direction where it gets a little out of out there in weird ways. But these movies are weird, so. And then they went on and sold their rights. So they obviously didn't have any say in how the story went. And although I believe they pitched it to Mustafa Akkad, who ended up buying the franchise, he mm-hmm. was like, this is dumpster trash. Let's keep Myers alive. That's what the people want. So Mustafa Akkad and his Trances International Films production company took over the franchise. And boy, yep. do I have some feelings about Mustafa Akkad and the way that he chose to uh, continue this franchise. But we shan't speak ill of the dead. Yeah. Speaking of, he died at the age of 75 in the most upsetting way possible. <laughs> yeah. In the Jordan Hotel bombings in 2005. His daughter, Rima Akkad Manla, was 34, died immediately in the attack as she was with him, and he died of a heart attack while being treated in the hospital. They mm. were in Jordan because they were visiting for a wedding. And what happened was, if you don't remember, three suicide bombers hit the Grand Hyatt, Radisson, SAS, and Days Inn Hotels in the Jardinian capital, Amman, on Wednesday, November 9th, 2005, in the evening, and killed at least 60 people. And on to happier news, they sent a script to Deborah Hill <laughs> to see what she thought. And she gave her stamp of approval. And that is how we got Halloween 4. Uh, the initial writing of the script showed an opening scene flashback kind of type thing of how Dr. Loomis survived and all of that good stuff. But the director said he really kind of wanted to just ignore Halloween 2 and base heavily off of Halloween 1, which is more prevalent. Um, obviously, he had to keep the family line idea because it was now kind of the kingpin of everything. It was it was canon, man. Gotta stay canon through through all this shit now. <laughs> that dang canon. Listen, I didn't know what canon meant until last year. I think was when I like really put in the effort to figure out what it meant. And it, uh, they <laughs> were <laughs> previously. I was I was gonna try and make a joke, and I couldn't think of anything. And then I was like, I canon, and I just kept repeating it in my head. And I was like, I have nothing. <laughs> Uh, So they had been getting a ton and ton of unsolicited scripts for this movie. McElroy said he wrote the script in 11 days because of something called the Writer's Guild Strike. And this strike lasted 155 days, began March 1988, and lasted until August. Nightmare on Elm Street 4 was written in 7 days because of this whole fiasco. The third Indiana Jones movie got put on hold while this occurred. Star Trek The Next Generation was using scripts submitted from random writers, probably people who didn't have agents and then just like fan people, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to make enough episodes to fill a season. And overall, the walkout was estimated to have cost Hollywood like $500 million. Hmm. And 
Another article I read said that it was during the strike that unscripted reality TV shows really became hits because that was all they had to use <laughs> because they had to fill all these TV time slots. And so things like Unsolved Mysteries and The Famed Cops started. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? I never watch Cops, let's be honest here. <laughs> all I know is the song. Yeah, pretty much. One of the late night talk show hosts describes like this beautiful and brilliant image of him like coming to work and having his writers and his friends be on strike. And he described that they were all holding up signs in their like picket and protest lines, but the signs were blank because they are protesting writing. And that's genius. Clever. So as I said earlier, the film was, uh, well, they, they were filmed in Hall. Er, they were filmed in Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> they were filmed in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I am right now, as was Halloween 5. The MacArthur's, out, uh, the MacArthur's house, Jamie's foster family, that's the one that sold in the avenues. Also known as Carruthers' house. Car- I'm sorry, you're right. <laughs> what did I say? MacArthur's? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Not, not, I don't know where that came from at all. But if I you're put an M in there, but you know, if you're part of our Salt Lake City fan base, that is 509 Third Avenue, Salt Lake City. Yeah, it's up there. You can go check it out. It's a really cool house. It's really cool. Then Penny's service station is still around, and also Douglas School in Salt Lake City, which is the Haddonfield Elementary. Uh, this is where, or this is now a private McGillis school. But uh, you also see the Vincent Drugstore in Midvale, which is still there. And then you see, you know, Ted Hollister's death is in the Memory Grove Park, which is a World War I memorial. Ridgemont Federal Sanitarium is filmed at an old primary children's hospital in Salt Lake, which is kind of cool. Um, I think it's now the apartment complex called the Meridian at Capitol Park. Then you see Sheriff Meeker's house, which was shot inside the Ellis Mansion, built in 1906 and currently valued at over 200 or over two million dollars. God damn! <laughs> Add some zeros. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I like zeros, man. Uh, you know, I wish I had that money. That's cool. Uh, the part where Jamie I is do running... have zeros. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of zeros with no other numbers attached to it. Yep. <laughs> I have a two with a lot of zeros in front of it, not behind it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, the part where Jamie is running and banging on doors and screaming, someone in the neighborhood called the police and reported a possible kidnapping. Uh, that's Canyon Road in Salt Lake City. So I think that was awesome because you like hear true crime stories all the time where after the crime has been committed, like two days later, people come forward and they're like, oh, yeah, like I heard that little girl scream, uh, you know, when she got swooped up. But I didn't call the police because I thought they were just playing or something. But this person heard the actress for Jamie, running down the street screaming, and she just, like, immediately called the police. So had that been a crime, that's great. And I hope this woman wasn't shamed at all, or a person. I don't know if it was a woman. I hope this person was not shamed at all for just making sure babies are safe. Hey, they were doing the right thing. They were doing the right thing. So you want to know how much this movie costs to make? <laughs> uh, more or less than Ellis Mansion? Uh, more. More than Ellis Mansion, actually. How much more? It's 3.5 more. It's $5.5 million to make this movie. Fun fact. How much did it make? 
Uh, it made over $18 million in the U.S. and spent two weeks at number one at the box office. So it did pretty good. Uh, at least it made double of what it cost to spend. But it still didn't do as well as Halloween 2. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> Ever in competition with Friday the 13th, Jason was on its seventh movie and still made more. It was only a measly one million more, but that's that's okay. Um, you know, I think they have... I think it's the water that costs more money or something. <laughs> uh, however, Dream Master grosses at $49 million, which is a Nightmare on 13th uh, movie. And at that point, you know people are just going to see Freddy. It's, it's, it's Robert England. He was so good. He, he, he was the perfect Freddy. Uh, it did beat out Poltergeist 3 and Hellraiser 2. Granted, Hellraiser 1 is absolutely phenomenal. And we got this information from an article titled, Nine Things You May Not Know About Halloween 4. <laughs> Some more things you might not know. They changed Donald Pleasance's makeup effects partway through the film. They only reshot certain scenes. <laughs> um, or they reshot all of it, but they didn't like the reshoots as much as the original shots. So there's kind of a mixture of them in and in the film so his burn scar like changes as the film goes hmm. on i was curious about that yeah i guess his girlfriend or daughter or some other lady friend of his uh was like wow it looks like you have a broken boiled egg on your face and he was like you know what you right and so they fixed it um to make hmm. it like more subtle and as we stated in the last episode, the stuntman that played Myers in the second movie got to keep his mask, so they had to remake it for the movie. And boy, can you tell it's a different mask. <laughs> yeah, it's not that hard. They had six William Shatner-esque, they're kind of William Shatner They're masks. based off William Shatner masks. Yeah. They are masks of masks of William Shatner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ken Horn was in charge of giving these masks the Myers makeover. That's the new makeover that is happening at sleepovers all over the country, in case you didn't know. Call it the Myers mm -hmm. makeover. Yep. I'm not sure how, but I read somewhere that not all the masks got fixed, and in some of the scenes, you can see the original pink blonde masks. Because the skin was pink and he had blonde hair. And I'm like, how rushed are you in this That's movie so funny. that you let shit like that slide? <laughs> like, nothing says B-rated than tiny things like that going wrong. You know, it's very true. The director says that one of the many excuses given for this uh, mishap was they didn't have the funds because, you know, out of $5 million, they couldn't pick the right mask. So you couldn't scrap together some white and black paint to just, like, fix it real quick or, like... The cast from the first movie was paying money to be in that movie. Like, you guys can shell out $5 to get some paint, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I can understand the mask looking, like, newer and not totally like the exact one uh, because it fits the movie that he had to find a new mask. So, like, that kind of makes sense. However, why these masks were still being sold after a serial killer used them in that town is beyond me. Poor Ken Horn, the effects guy had a nightmare of an experience on the set and did not work on any other movies after this one. That's unfortunate. He got mistreated quite a bit, and that is kind of a common thread in some of these movies. And I don't think it's necessarily, like, just the directors, but I think there's just 
these films come together so quickly with a lot of pressure by Mustafa Akkad. And so tiny things get missed and there's a lot of stress and shit rolls downhill. But Morga, who was the first stuntman in this film to play Myers, ended up standing up for Horn and being like, y'all can't talk to him like that. Back up. And I think that might have been part of the reason he got fired. <laughs> they probably labeled him like difficult to work with or something. And this concludes Halloween 4. It's time to talk about Halloween number 5. The Revenge of Michael Myers. 1989 was when this film came out. One year after Halloween 4. So that doesn't tell you how this movie's going to go. I don't know what will. Yeah, it seems seems rushed, but you know, you know, it works. This film is directed by Dominique O'Fennin Girard. He is native Swiss and has done films all over the world. He is currently working on something called Columbine, which could be interesting. Very interesting. I'm assuming it's about the shooting, the school shooting, Columbine. Uh, so the cast, we have Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis again, Daniel Harris as Jamie Lloyd, Ellie Cornell as Rachel Carruthers, Sheriff Ben Meeker as Bo Starr, and then the first new person you see is Billy Hill, friend of Jamie, totally precious, and mm-hmm. that's played by Jeffrey Landman, and I didn't see any big significant parts for him after this film. No. And Halloween 4, Rachel has a friend they call Lindsay, and they're high school students, right? But a bunch of people Mm -hmm. got confused because they were wondering if this is Lindsay Wallace from the first movie, which age-wise doesn't make sense. So I'm wondering if they changed Lindsay's name to Tina for this film because people, like, really wouldn't let that go. Uh, But Tina is played by Wendy Foxworth. Um, her maiden name is Kaplan. You get you meet Sammy Thomas, who is the blonde friend of Tina, and she's played by Tamara Glenn. She's known in Friday the 13th, Vengeance 2, Bloodlines, Freddy's Nightmares, which is a TV ser- series. Another hat trick. You yep. have Freddy, so, Jason, and Myers. So otherwise, her movies are mostly horror. Um and she's done a lot of work in uh, the past few years. So, so Michael Myers slash The Man in Black, they are played by one and the same. Is played by, yet again, another stuntman. This time... So this makes 21? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically. This time it's Donald Shanks. He is a Native American stuntman. He was a stunt coordinator for a bunch of the best Disney Channel original movies ever made. Including... The High School Musical Trilogy, okay. Halloween Town High. Yes. I'll always know what you did last summer, which is not a Disney movie, but that is one Definitely that he did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he did like a shit ton of Disney. Uh, yeah. Urban Legends, Bloody Mary, which I really like that movie. Wasn't that filmed in Utah too? I think so. Pretty sure that one was filmed in Utah uh, too. The Crow movies. Which are amazing. And Dumb and Dumber. Boom, boom. So he's had quite the... The uh, career is the word I guess people use. At the beginning, you get, again, another conveniently placed recap. So it skips back to the very end of Halloween 4 and kind of shows you the Michael Myers perspective of what happened and kind of where he went. Just like in Halloween 2, where it shows like from the outside of the house instead of the inside of the house what happened. 
So uh, Rachel and Jamie are in the truck. They run over Myers. Jamie runs up, grabs his hand. He gets shot a bunch of times. Uh, somehow he has a knife randomly. I don't know where that came from or what happened there. Uh, his build in this movie is kind of like Fester from the Adams Family Values movie at the beginning. I don't know if they maintain it throughout, but while he's like going down the river because he escapes down this river, he like stands up and he looks like Fester. Like he's like really built. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about? Agree with me? Disagree? Yes. Okay. No, no, I totally agree. Okay, cool. Thanks. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I've been, I've been, I've been, mm-hmm. But I didn't know if it heard me or not. It, it doesn't. Me it, up or not. No. it doesn't hear well, you. <laughs> fuck you too, microphone. God damn it. I've been. Uh, I would do that this whole time. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope. Not hearing a thing. Oh, okay. Cool. 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 So cool. As I said, he escapes down this like nearby river, and he floats slowly and awkwardly, just like he walks. <laughs> yeah. Down this incredibly shallow creek. Then it basically shows how he survived his next victim. And then it jumps to Jamie, and it shows her having a dream where she stabbed Miss Carruthers, her foster family mom. Uh, but this is one year later, and her mom, or the foster mom, didn't die. So they answered that question. She just got injured, I guess. Mm-hmm. They do that scene in the same way they do the first one. Uh, it's through the mask that Jamie was wearing, the clown mask that you watch right. her Mirde. It's Mirde. Well, attempt. Attempt to murder. Yeah, attempted Mirde. Like Jeepers Creepers, House on Hunted Hill, etc., etc., they felt the need to step it up a notch by adding some mystical, psych- uh, like psychic deal thing between Jamie and Myers. And it's just beating on the fact that he is an unkillable serial killer is this whole movie there you go summed it up for some reason dr loomis knows exactly what's going on and that there's some psychic link although he is the only one who knows because he is van helsing's uh, great 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 grandson that is now canon (laughs) in my book anyways and rachel is still like totally okay hanging out with jamie even though she went crazy and tried to kill her mom so that's cool Jamie can't speak, and there's, like, this really awkward part where she's trying to scream because she now lives in a pediatric mental hospital. Right. Because she had that nightmare, she's just like, (laughs) it's really weird. I don't know. The noises she makes are weird. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. But she is, like, Myers where she's catatonic, although it doesn't fit because I don't understand why she's catatonic if she wants to speak and scream. Like, it doesn't make sense. Whereas Michael, like... That's more of like a traditional catatonic state. Jamie starts having these visions of Michael whenever he's about to kill somebody. And the first one he say he sees is Michael killing a homeless man and then their dog Max. Oh, another animal. Dr. Loomis sees Rachel having or not Rachel, sees Jamie having a fit and calls Rachel to warn her. And then there's this really chaotic, random scene where these two police officers show up to search Rachel's house. And there's, like, this weird clown comedy vibe going on where they, like, finish each other's sentences in this really awkward way. And there's, like, horns where it's, like, meet, meet, honk, honk. Like, it's so 
weird and it does not fit. Yeah. And it's like watching the Stooges, but there's only two of them. And apparently they weren't very good at what they did because (laughs) they did not bother to search her closet, which is where the very large Myers was hiding. Yeah. Uh, But I guess that scene with like the clown theme was supposed to pay homage to a scene in Wes Craven's The Last House on the Left in 1972. Hmm. I've only seen the remake. Um, I can't imagine where that clown theme fits into that movie as well. That is a pretty dark movie. (laughs) It's a very dark movie. But, you know, to each their own stooge, I guess. Apparently. There's also this random part where Dr. Loomis is like looking for Michael and they show this random tattoo and that tattoo looks like the map icon of a tent. Kind of. A line with like a tent shape on it and this is the very tattoo I think we talked about it last episode that Katie has and so we'll, we'll post it <laughs> with this movie since we didn't post it with the last one. Yes. But they give zero background into this tattoo. It's just like there and they emphasize it. Yeah, there's a there's a nice little close up on it for a minute. And then once again, you have a whole bunch of teenagers that are going to meet up at a Halloween party out at a farm. And somehow Jamie sneaks out of the pediatric ward with her friend Billy and manages to run all the way to this farm and like gets there faster than all the people in cars, which I found to be wild. (laughs) Yeah, I love that, too. Uh, But she's running off because she wants to protect Tina, who is Rachel's best friend. And Tina kind of, like, tried really hard to keep Rachel happy during that year that she was in the the children's ward. So they had, Uh like, this special bond. But Tina's at the farm with her friends. Some murders happen. Myers shows up. It's the whole deal. There's kittens. That's the only part we should talk about. There are kittens. Finally! Finally! The we most get some kitties. The most suspenseful part of every Halloween movie ever is this scene where Tina is, so cute. is looking for a kitten in the quiet barn. And I'm like, I swear to God, if Myers kills this kitten, I will throw this TV. <laughs> I refuse to watch anymore. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. The kittens survive. Kittens are unharmed. They stay, they stay alive. <laughs> no kittens were harmed in the making of this film. One got a little bit of blood on it from a human, but it was not the kitty blood, and that's what matters. That's all that counts. <laughs> Myers chases Tina, chases Jamie. Dr. Loomis has this impeccable timing again and shows up. They come up with this great plot to trick Myers into going to his old house, where it all began to capture him and they're going to have police stationed everywhere and again these police are just so fucking stupid because he's so it shows them like stationed all around the house and the sheriff is like running very loudly through all these bushes yelling into his walkie-talkie and he's like hey can you see me and they're like no and he's like okay check in everybody and they're like myers knows you're there you are all so dumb So then there's this false call. All the police officers go to the pediatric ward. And you see every single house in that neighborhood has a police car pull out of it. And then like across the street from Meyer's house is like a SWAT truck. I'm like, you guys Mm -hmm. did not do a great job camouflaging yourselves. It's pretty wild. They're so awful. You guys must be really good at hide and seek. 
You'd think this police department would know just to call state troopers or professionals by now. And anyways, it turns out that Dr. Loomis had planned that, I guess, because he knew Myers would know and wouldn't show up. Myers shows up. Him and Dr. Loomis have this tender moment that turns untender real quick. (laughs) Jamie ends up in the attic, which is now covered in candles and bodies, like the Jeepers Creepers House of Pain kind of a deal. Basically. And she just like randomly climbs into this little baby-sized coffin. <laughs> and she's like, meh. It's like perfectly sized for her. And she's like, I'm just going to climb in here. Yeah, she's like, I guess this is where I'll go. And then she's just like, uncle? And he goes, aw. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. No, I'm just kidding. That's not how it ends. Uh, but in the end, Dr. Loomis like may or may not be dead. Michael is sitting in a jail cell, waiting to be transported to a maximum security prison, and Jamie survives. And then, in in another Halloween twist ending, there's some random stranger in steel-toed boots. He's just been kind of, like, lurking around the background of all these scenes in Haddonfield. And he blows up the cell, shoots all the police officers, because we know that that place is just a murder scene. And... Uh, kidnaps Myers and Jamie, and that's it. That's how it ends. Katie, take us down a stroll through this graveyard. This graveyard is a little bit uh, different. <laughs> you get the hermit who is stabbed in the back. Then, unfortunately, Ra- uh, Rachel, not MacArthur's, <laughs> but Carth- Carthers? Carruthers. Carruthers. I just want to say Carthers. <laughs> Carruthers, she's stabbed in the chest with some scissors. Mike gets stabbed in the forehead with a garden claw. That's unfortunate. Spitz gets impaled through the back by a pitchfork. Samantha Thomas, uh, she gets sliced in the chest with a scythe. That's in the barn. She, I'm pretty sure her blood is the one on the kitten. It's either hers or Spitz. Yeah. Tina Williams is stabbed in the chest. Deputy Eddie Gray uh, he has his head bashed in nine times against the steering wheel. A little excessive, but you know. Okay. Just a little bit. <laughs> uh, Deputy Charlie Blotch, uh, he is hanging from the second story window. This is the saddest one. Max, the dog. So good dog. Uh, possibly Mr. Loomis. Dr. Loomis. Uh, possibly. Mr. Loomis. Dr. M- Mr. Loomis. Dr. Max Hart and Nurse Patsy West are, are they are killed off screen. Finally, it's uh, Sheriff Ben Meeker, Deputy Tony, and an additional six or seven op- police officers who are shot with the machine gun by the man in black who kidnaps Michael Myers and Jamie. So, uh, all th- just just don't be in a police a police uh, station <laughs> when Michael is around because it's going to be a bloody massacre at that point. And I'm pretty sure. Right before, like, when all those police officers get the call to leave where they're all stationed up at Meyer's house, Mm -hmm. he's like, you need to take Jamie to the police station. That's the safest place. Really? Really, guy? That's your argument? (laughs) Clearly, that's not true. Like, is this police station in a different city? (laughs) So, behind the scenes. I'm going to stop singing. I'm sorry. This one's just really, really acapella-y. Okay. So, according to another Nine Things You Did Not Know About Halloween 5 article, the director and writer for movie 4 did not want to do movie 5 
because they felt they had done such a pristine job, they just couldn't possibly top themselves. So the next writer that was hired by Mustafa Akkad continued the story of Jamie being evil, but Akkad did not want the story to shift away from Michael and fired him as well. So Mustafa is just like, listen, or Mr. Akkad, sorry, is like, listen, the people want to see Myers. That's where the money's at. You will not deviate from that storyline because a lot of people really promoted Jamie, like taking on this murderous torch. Right. And so number, much like John Carpenter, the director for movie four was like, listen, this is how it ends. This is, this is it. Uh, and Akkad was like, mm, I smell money. So it turns out that Donald Pleasance preferred to have had Jamie be the new evil as well. He told Fangoria in an interview, I think they should have gone along with the fact that the little girl is now totally evil. I was disappointed that we now discover she did not kill her mother at the ending of the last film. So in movie four, Jamie did kill the foster mom in the end. That's how it was written. But then Mm. when they came back for five, they, like, altered the ending, which is why they did that whole re-ending at the beginning. Cover. Um, So they basically make Jamie, like, this redeemable victim instead of a murderous six-year-old. During this time, Halloween and Friday the 13th were often often having the same struggles with storyline and continuing with the franchise, but they're also competing with each other. And then there's Nightmare on Elm Street, which is also competing and probably doing a bit better because it was so different compared to the other two ideas. Uh, so it just had a lot of competition. Yeah, every when time. When you have three big slashers going against each other, it's a little hard to stay on top. Yeah, it sounds like Halloween and Friday the 13th were often like going towards the same direction storyline-wise. And then it would, you know, someone would be like, no, let's do this or let's do that. And then they'd still end up in the same place. Mm -hmm. Uh, The film's first screenplay, written by Shem Bitterman, featured Jamie Lloyd Lloyd and Michael Myers as dual antagonists, with a now-teenage Jamie going on a killing spree of her own. And then Myers was attempting to kill her because she was unwittingly interfering with his own killing spree. So Rachel gets caught in the middle and dies. Regardless, Rachel's fucked. The executive (laughs) producer... Mr. Akkad disliked that idea, feeling it felt more like a parody of the Halloween series than an actual entry in it, because again, he's like, it has to be focused on Michael. Anything otherwise is not true to the Hmm. franchise. Although that would have been like a... That's so different than what the original franchise was supposed to be about. But I kind of dig on that idea that there's just two serial killers working at the same time, but like competing. I think that would be like... As far as gore goes, that would be a great direction to take it, you know? You could make it a good comedic thing, like freaky. <laughs> One of the other things was that Akkad had already promised Daniel Harris, who played Jamie, that she would be allowed to return to the part. And she did not think that Harris, who was 12 at the time, would be a credible serial killer. I completely disagree. She could totally pull off like a creepy... Oh, 100%. Yeah. As a result, the screenplay was rewritten from scratch by Michael Jacobs and director Dominique. At Deborah Hill's guidance, Akkad and and the team met with Dominique, and uh, he pitched the whole whole new story. 
In an interview with HalloweenMovies.com, he said, Slowly, I started to tell them a story I came up with following the structure of the original Halloween from Carpenter and Hill. A structure following the Hitchcock rules of suspense, not mixing the genres like the script had they had given me. It had a body count in, of deaths like the Friday the 13th and many deaths in Nightmare situation like the other competing series. Everyone says they are returning for the to the original Carpenter Hill story, but if that is what, you know, they really wanted, none of these movies really would have been happening. Uh, um, they also started to humanize my, uh, Michael Myers even more, and, uh, you know, that was not something they, Carpenter, originally wanted. But the director wanted to show some conflict that showed he had a soul. So it's a little different. I <laughs> am not a writer, so I didn't know anything about the Hitchcock rules of suspense. So I Googled it real fast. Because mm-hmm. what am I without Google, right? Right. And I found a textbook chapter about Hitchcock's suspense. And it described, like, the different types of suspense. Mm. So the first one it described was vicarious suspense, which is, like, dramatic irony. So the audience knows something that the characters don't. Like, we saw right. the trap get set, but the person's walking into it with no idea. Mm-hmm. Number two is shared suspense, which is both character and audience know what is going on. The cat is running away from Tina. We all know that's what's happening. The dramatic Mm -hmm. irony in that is that Michael Myers is there. Tina doesn't know that. Number three, dual or split suspense. The audience is sympathetic or empathetic with more than one character. Uh, The best example I could come up with this is in Knives Out. Which is that great Sherlock Holmes meets Clue movie. If you haven't seen it, it's on Amazon and I love it. But you feel sympathy for the nurse who's trying to cover up her side of events in order to protect her non-citizen mom. But you also want the detective to solve the murder, whether that means catching her or not. So you you like Mm -hmm. feel both sides. Number four is direct suspense, and this is when the audience feels suspense and fear because they are drawn into the narrative, not necessarily on behalf of a character. The best example I can think of is in Scary Movie 4, in the opening scene, one of the blondes goes into the bedroom where her friend is in a chair facing away and unresponsive. And as she's like getting closer and she's like talking to her friend, I can't remember her friend's name, but we'll be like, Molly! Are you okay? And as the audience, you know that something's not right, but you're not sure what. And then she spins the chair and you're like, boom. Right? You like get sucked into the movie wondering what's happening. Good times. Number five is surprise. So Jamie. Her name is Katie, by the way. Her name is totally Katie. Is it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's Katie. And then she shakes her and her head falls off. I know. (laughs) Uh, So number five is surprise, and that's uh, like Jamie being the murderer at the end of four. You don't see that coming. Right. Right. They ended up recreating the Michael Myers house, and instead of using the same design as the house in the originals, the director had one designed house that that would better suit his cinematic vision. Also, this was filmed in Salt Lake City again, and not where the original set was from, or not where the original was set. So there's that difference. One of the reasons that they chose Salt Lake City is because in the first two films, they had a really hard time making, like, a synthetic fall. But Salt Lake City has, like, this beautiful fall where the colors have mm-hmm. changed. There's leaves oh, on the yeah. ground. And so that's why they kept going back to Salt Lake. It was just more Halloween feel. And they yeah. didn't have to keep reusing fake fall leaves. 
I think Akkad did not did not allow for much creative control by anyone and often just told them what to do, what he wanted to happen and expected them to kind of just make it work. Uh, he is also desperate to get his films turned out quickly, which meant little time to flesh out the script. So, like, one and done, he tried to do these as fast as he possibly could, which is why this came out a year after the fourth. So Halloween 5 started filming before the script was even finished. No big deal. Yeah. Um, it started filming May 1st in 89, and the movie was released that October. The man... Yeah, that's a really fast turnaround. Yeah, that's ridiculous. The Man in Black was a last-minute addition that Akkad wanted to add. He was like, hey, I have this idea where this guy in black is just there. And he was like, make it work. His argument uh, is that it would be a quick fix for the unfinished script's various plot, plot holes. And that they could explain who this guy was in six. I think that that's complete fucking bullshit. And that Akkad just wanted a reason for people to ask for another movie. Because yep. there's not a single plot hole in that film that that man in black fixed by creeping in the background. Oh, not at all. If anything, he just made more plot holes. And Akkad found a way to keep up this Myers money machine. But that's also why... The man in black is played by the same stuntman who played Myers because they were like, hey, just throw on this coat. <laughs> he's like, okay. You can kidnap yourself. Uh, also, fun fact, October 13th of 1989 was Friday the 13th. In 2023, we'll have a Friday the 13th in October as well. And also on Friday the 13th of October 1989, uh, there was also a mini stock market crash. Hmm. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, Dominique also made changes to the mask. He wanted Michael to be a little bit more human. So the mask was made to look more relatable. Additionally, he wanted to set Michael even more apart from Jason by making the mask look less synthetic and shiny like Jason's hockey mask. So, so. basically, like you said, everything Carpenter did not want. This guy who's like, I really want to bring it back to Halloween. Yeah. 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 So uh, Michael or Carpenter's dream was kind of just getting eaten alive because everybody else wants him to be more human and blah it's i guess i don't know if it's scarier if he's more human i personally think it's less scary but whatever uh so the actor for rachel carruthers had to fight to have the ending that she got for rachel which was still kind of a pathetic ending (laughs) she went from like this badass bitch boss who like protected Jamie and saved her in movie four to having this like tiny little shower scene and then getting stabbed in the heart Hmm. or chest or shoulder, wherever the original script had her being murdered by Michael shoving shears down her throat. And the actress was like, no, absolutely. 100% not. Is that going to happen to my character? So they gave her a pay raise and that allowed for them to stab her in the chest. <laughs> there you go. This made less than Halloween 4, only 11.6 million domestic. Uh, the lowest Halloween we've seen yet was is this one, um, which kind of makes sense. Because at this point, I feel like this is when pe- people really started kind of trailing off. But it was uh, also beat out by uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 5 and Nightmare on 3rd. Er, <laughs> uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, the 13th number eight so again with all the competing slashers around it just wasn't up to par the ultimate showdown freddie and jason 
Nightmare on 13th. <laughs> there is a Freddy vs. Jason. It's one of my favorite movies in the world. And Myers is just sitting in the theater watching that movie, eating popcorn through his mask. Yep. Quietly. <laughs> yep. Or he's just, like, in the background in the film. He's just randomly he's just standing, dead. like, in the closet. So, Donald Pleasance did not particularly seem to like the film choices, as we kind of touched on earlier. He didn't think the director really wanted to honor the original Halloween and wanted to make it his own, as we said. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has a few interviews where he says he disagreed with the choice or convinced them to compromise. And so the director defends his choices by saying, yes, I know this is the fifth Halloween. And if we want people to keep coming back for sixth or eighth, like Friday the 13th, we got to shake things up a bit. I mean, I disagree, but. But you're changing the entire, like, original style of Michael himself. Yeah, you're, you're basically doing another anthology. Donald Pleasance is also, like, a really good friend of Carpenter. So I think he had a really good grasp of carpenter's original vision and that's how he was convinced to be on those movies in the first place right he's also probably relaying things to carpenter who's in his ear being like what the so this is not what i wanted so some in film theme notes when jamie starts sensing michael near billy dr loomis is walking in the hallway And the sign tattooed on Michael's wrist and the man in black can be seen on the wall behind Dr. Loomis. I didn't notice that. I had to look for it after I read that. (laughs) Uh, The old hermit from the opening scene was originally scripted as a younger man named Dr. Death, who had a fascination with the occult. His shack was supposed to be filled with ancient runes and tablets, and he attempted to bring Michael back to life after finding him. The scene was filmed... And it can be seen in the little short Inside Halloween 5 from that was made in the 2000s. Hmm. I believe this is probably where they got the idea for Halloween 6. Probably. And then what happened to Billy? So in the movie, Billy is at the farm. He gets chased by Myers in the car along with Jamie and Tina. But he like falls and you don't really like he gets up, but you don't know what happens. I personally was like, he's clearly alive. He's fine. But I guess a lot of people were like, what happened to Billy? So according to Jeffrey Landman, who played Billy, this is what happened. And this is a quote. Okay, so when the car chase sequence was initially shot, it was far more graphic and it was clearer that the car hit me. However, due to industry regulations, the accident had to be trimmed. At the time, filmmakers were not allowed to actually show a child being harmed. So they had to make the accident look less real. And now it looks like the car missed me. Additionally, as I previously mentioned, there was a scene at the end of the movie showing me alive and well at the clinic. However, due to circumstances unknown to me, the scene was shot after I had left Salt Lake City and returned to New Jersey. Therefore, Billy's fate is up in the air. To me, he is still alive and well. So, like, yeah, like I said, it looks, he looks like he's just fine. I'm pretty sure he, like, sits up and he's, like, grasping his chest. And part of me is, like, is he having an asthma attack? Uh, But, yeah, he's fine. Should I be dying if I was running like that from a car, too? I don't know how he got back because there's, like, these woods between where they picked up Jamie and where he is. So I don't know if he just wandered back or if somebody actually found him. Neither here nor there. that's a good question. Fun fact. Michael drives a 1967 Chevrolet Camaro. Dean Winchester drives a 1967 Chevrolet Impala. So, therefore, there should be an episode where Dean and Michael meet. 
yes, that's my connection. I like it. And I then Dean and Sam teach Dr. Loomis how to be a demon hunter, and they all take down Michael together. There, there's your interesting idea. There's your fifteenth movie. Fifteen. My overall thoughts for movies four and five. Um, as a slasher, I give them credit. I liked the use of whatever weapons are around. I think that makes it more fun from scene to scene because you like look around and you're like, what's he going to use to kill this guy? Right. Additionally, I did get the suspense. And it was done really well. In particular, Tina and the kittens. And the kittens. The kittens. The kittens. Uh, but like as part of the Halloween franchise, when I think of the original Halloween, I hate it. I don't like it. Yeah. Well, it doesn't follow the original, like what John Carpenter wanted, even though homeboys over here are like, I'm just trying to go back to the original. Like, yeah. clearly you're not. I think so. four was a much better representation of the original mm-hmm. than five. So what was your favorite murder of these two movies? Or one of each, whichever you want to do. Uh, number five was definitely uh, Samantha's death with the scythe. Because um, when you use a scythe or a sickle, I kind of have just like... I think that's really cool, personally. Um, number four... Man, that's a good question. There's just so many deaths in number four. I do like a homegirl who gets shotgunned to the wall. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, so yeah, I think that probably for, yeah, for my favorite is the slow, stupid murder. Boyfriend walk. Yeah. Randy. Cause he up the stairs could have gotten away and just did it. Five. Oh, the murder of Tina Williams. Not because it's like a fascinating murder. I just remembered this when I saw her, uh, but because it's filmed so horribly. So <laughs> he stabs her in the what is this my left left shoulder uh when he stabs her you can literally see the rubber blade bend around her shoulder i so that's really funny i didn't even notice that <laughs> yeah it's incredibly obvious <laughs> uh classy but he like really stabbed her hard because you can see the rubber it digs into her skin and then like pushes to the mm. left um but yeah it's great that's why i like that one it's great. And yeah. that's Halloween number four. Yep. Five. Yep. Five. That's both. Four and five. Four and five. Right there for you. So Halloween six is going to come out in a separate episode uh, later this week because it's its mm-hmm. own. <laughs> it's its own thing. Yes. These two go together. Six kind of ties into it. So if you have your own theories or ideas or reviews of these movies or if this is like your favorite timeline of the halloween timelines let let us us know know. yeah send us your kitten pictures preferably not covered in blood but alive you know yeah 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 because we like live kittens and cats because they're cute i guess dogs are okay too (laughs) dogs are pretty great where can you send these where can you send these oh our gmail is i was gonna answer but i was yawning (laughs) (laughs) Our Gmail is horrorcatswitchhats at gmail.com. It's all one word. Or you can hit us up on Instagram at horror underscore cats underscore witchhats. Our Facebook. Same with the Facebook as well. There you go. Beat me to it. Yep. Yep. Uh, Otherwise, just keep leaving reviews and 
listening. Tell us what you want us to watch. Yeah, we subscribe, follow. October's coming. If you want to see us uh, hear a specific movie for October besides the new Halloween movie, obviously, let us know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We have some extra fun things for September planned. So stay tuned for those. Until then, watch Halloween 6 so that you can enjoy it. The, I don't know, is fuckery too harsh of a word that movie 6 is? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. It does have Paul Rudd in it, though. So yes, it does. That. Yeah. Uh, until then, like, follow, subscribe. Don't, uh, I don't know, don't rewrite a franchise, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow.